Well, good morning, church. Happy New Year. Oh, it's great to be here with you and to worship our great and awesome God together. Um, Joe and I and the family, we've uh, been back in Sydney for, for two weeks now, um, spending time with family and with friends. Um, we're so uh, privileged to, to spend Christmas uh, with you all um, last week. Uh, it was fantastic to, to catch up with some of you. Um, we just want to thank you all uh, for, for standing with us uh, and supporting us over the past two years while we were in Malawi. Uh, it's been a difficult year uh, for us in, in many ways, um, in some of our relationships and, and ministries. Uh, I won't go into the details now, uh, but just thank you for, for standing with us and supporting us. And I just want to thank Brian. Um, Brian will call me up um, once a month, at least once a month, he will call me up and we'll chat on the phone and he will ask me, how are you going, Pete? How can we be praying for you uh, as a family? Um, and so I really appreciate that. And to thank you, Brian, and a few others here uh, who helped uh, move furniture and, and, and help up set up our, our place uh, in, in Dural. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for doing that. Uh, we greatly uh, appreciate that. Um, I know that some of you uh, will not be here uh, tonight for the feast service. Um, um, and, you know, I won't go into a lot of detail of uh, what we've been doing in Malawi, but I just wanted to show a, three, a quick three-minute video uh, that summarizes the past two years for us, um, our life and, and ministry there. Um, and then uh, Joe tonight will, will, will tell you a little bit more about our journey um, in our feast service. Let me pray before we look in God's Word. Father God, we just want to give you the praise and honor and glory that you deserve. You are the God who transformed lives. And Father, we thank you that no matter where we are in the world, you are doing that. You are transforming lives. Father, we pray this morning as we come uh, before your word. Uh, Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to just reflect uh, at the start of this new year, our relationship with, with your son, Jesus. And Father, we just pray that you'll be with us this morning as we look at it now. May your Holy Spirit uh, be our teacher. May he point out the things in our lives that we need to bring before you in repentance, and we, may he bring to mind the things that we need to trust you more. Father, we just want to commit this time into your hands, in Jesus' name, amen. So new year, new resolutions. But instead of asking you what your new year resolutions are for 2020, let me ask you instead, if you could meet a celebrity this year, who would it be? If you could meet a celebrity this year, who would it be? And what question would you ask that celebrity? At the start of our um, second term in Malawi, uh, this was about four years ago, um, I was a well-known celebrity, actually. Um, I have a doppelganger, believe it or not, a doppelganger, a person who looks like me uh, in, in Malawi. I was uh, walking... Uh, uh, to a hardware shop, uh, just buying some things. And then uh, a few of the guys around were, were whispering to themselves. Um, and I was trying to catch what they were saying. And then the, uh, the boss at the front uh, then turns to me and, and says, uh, they're asking whether you are that famous Japanese player who just arrived in Malawi. And I said, what? Japanese player? Football player in Malawi? And then 
I didn't think too much of it until um, later on that week, as I was walking down the street, uh, lots of young people were calling out from across the street, Nakamura, Nakamura. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, who is this guy, Nakamura? And so um, I, I went online and did a Google search, and behold, there was indeed a Japanese football player in, 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 in Malawi that looks like me. Um, and so I, I mentioned to Joe, wouldn't it be great before the, before the end of this term to meet this guy, uh, Genki Nakamura? Um, and so what does Joe do? Uh, she contacts him on Facebook and says, guess what? You look just like my husband. We would love to meet you. And, and the rest was history. And uh, so we would spend time with him, and he would come to our family holidays, and would throw Japanese curry parties. Uh, you will be amazed how many Japanese are working in Malawi at, at the moment. So it was a great gospel opportunity. But yeah, I was, uh, I was a celebrity for that term, and I'm st- I, I guess I still am. You know, last year, uh, before we left uh, at the airport, a few people just called out to me, Nakamura, Nakamura. You know, Jesus was quite a celebrity in his day. But not the kind of you know, celebrity that we know from TV and movies. So when you read the Gospels, we encounter someone who taught with authority. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he raised the dead, and he performed many other miracles like walking on water or turning water into wine. You know, he was quite a celebrity in his day for doing those things. You know, the crowds followed him everywhere. You know, if Jesus was here today, I bet you all the paparazzis will be there taking photos. But the problem with the crowds who followed Jesus was that most of them didn't know him. They didn't know him personally. They didn't really know who he was. You know, one day, they held him up as a celebrity. The next day, they wanted him dead. That can be true of people today. People today can be following him as part of the crowd, but may not have that personal encounter with him. And so when the tough time comes, people can abandon Jesus when they feel that he can no longer meet their needs. Where do you stand right now with Jesus in 2020, at the beginning of this new year? And that's the most important question to ask yourself is, do you know Jesus personally? Have you personally encountered him? Or have you just been in the crowds, observing from afar? So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus that changed Nicodemus' life forever. So who was Nicodemus? So let's look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. Who was Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus uh, was a Pharisee. It tells us in verse 1. He was a teacher of the law, uh, someone who made sure that everybody was conforming uh, to God's laws and obeying the rules and regulations. And verse 1 also tells us that he is a member of the ruling council. The Sanhedrin, which means literally means a council of 70. So he was a religious politician. Uh, he was a social and political elite in his day, highly respected within the Jewish community. 
what would a Nicodemus look like in the Australian society today? Perhaps it might be difficult to identify given the changing religious landscape of Australian society. In the census uh, 2016, uh, they introduced a no religion box. And guess what? 30.1% of the population ticked no religion compared to the 22.6% Catholic and the 13.3% Anglican. So according to the statistics, it suggests that you know, Australians are generally becoming non-religious. So maybe we can say that Nicodemus could represent the religious bloke or person who just wants to follow the rules and traditions, like going to church on Easter or, or Christmas, or maybe they just want their babies to be confirmed or christened, trusting in those things to make them right with God rather than trusting in Jesus himself. You see, being religious but having no genuine faith in Jesus is also a challenge in the Malawian context. Many profess to be Christian but may not actually know Jesus personally. I've been working in the in youth ministry in, in Malawi for some years now, and when I ask a young person, you know, what makes you Christian? And a common answer would be, because I was born into a Christian family. Or, they would say, because my mom and dad are Christian. See, religion is part of the culture. And many will profess to be either Christian, Muslim, Hindu, or adhere to African tradition, traditional religion. But you will not find many atheists in Malawi mainly in the Western expat community. But why does Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? You know, most of Jesus' conversations, his encounters with people, occurred during the day. Now, this is one of the very rare occasions in the Gospels that we read of a major account, account, account between Jesus and somebody at night. The other major encounter at night was when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now keep in mind that Nicodemus was a VIP. You know, he was a well-respected Pharisee. Perhaps Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night because he didn't want to be seen by his friends that he was associated with Jesus. Maybe being with Jesus might ruin his reputation. Imagine the, uh, the gossip among the, the Pharisees at the local uh, synagogue cafe. Imagine the conversations among his Pharisee friends. Did you see Nicodemus the other day with Jesus? I wonder whether, you know, I wonder what they're talking about. Do you think Nicodemus is, is siding with Jesus now? So it's pretty strange that Nicodemus would meet Jesus at night. You see, in Malawi, it's, it's unusual for people to visit at night. You know, besides the fact that it gets very dark uh, because we have no streetlights in Malawi, um, so people might think that you get up to no good if you're out at night. You might be doing witchcraft or you might be a, a bloodsucker, uh, like a, a Malawian vampire. You know, a few, a few years ago, a few people uh, were tragically killed because there were rumors of these bloodsuckers around. 
So being out at night wasn't a good thing. See, nighttime in John's gospel represents spiritual darkness. The theme of light and darkness is a very important theme in his gospel. Now, John is uh, you know, arguably one of the more creative uh, gospel writers compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke in their presentation of Jesus. You know, John is more like your impressionist artist as opposed to uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke who are more concerned about the facts. So they'll be probably taking photo- photographs and taking many different angles. So John will present a series of portraits of Jesus as opposed to a series of photos. So at the beginning of his gospel, in, in chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, listen to how he introduces his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with, the word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night is packed with meaning. You see, although Nicodemus was a religious leader who understood God's laws, John paints him as as lost in spiritual darkness. Because he has yet to encounter Jesus and put his trust in him. Nicodemus has yet to step into the light and encounter Jesus, the true light who gives life to the world. So later in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But what was the issue that was so pressing for Nicodemus that he had to see Jesus at night? So look with me at verse 2. It says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus addresses Jesus as Rabbi, teacher. He acknowledges that Jesus is a teacher from God because of the signs that he had been doing. So basically, Nicodemus wanted to have a chat, a theological chat with Jesus about the miracles that he was performing. Now, in John's gospel, John uses miraculous signs, the word miraculous signs, rather than miracles. And that's intentional because he wants his reader, he wanted his readers to understand that miracles are just signs that point to a greater reality than the signs themselves. So imagine the sign at the entrance to to the center. It's just a sign that tells us that you have reached the center. It's not the center itself. Even though it's a very impressive sign, you wouldn't stop there and do church there. It's not the destination. It just points us to the final destination, the real thing. You see, people were so caught up with Jesus' miracles that they missed the point of who they were pointing to. 
So just the chapter before, we read about Jesus performing his first miraculous sign of turning water into wine at a friend's wedding. Now imagine, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? Imagine your, your New Year's Eve party and you have Jesus with you and he has the ability to change water into wine or beer. You'll be pretty uh, famous, I think. Now Nicodemus had been impressed by the signs that Jesus had performed and he came to talk to Jesus about them. I don't think he came to Jesus to try to trap him like the other Pharisees. I think he was genuine. He was genuine in wanting to have a conversation with Jesus about, about what they mean. And that's why he comes to Jesus at night. But how does Jesus respond to Nicodemus? So look with me in verse 3. Now Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now notice Jesus, he doesn't turn Nicodemus away. You know, after a long day of ministry, the last thing that Jesus would have wanted was to have an argument with a Pharisee. You know, for those of us who are introverts, after being with people for a whole day can be very draining. Just ask Joe, uh, my wife, you know, after a long day of interacting with the, with the, the women at Tiamike, she will need to have some downtime at night, recharge from all her interactions. But Jesus, Jesus makes time for Nicodemus. He makes time for Nicodemus. And he makes time for us as well. He makes time for us as well. You know, we can come to Jesus with our doubts, with our concerns, with our questions. And he will not turn us away. And what a great encouragement, isn't it, at the start of this new year, to know that we can have access to Jesus 24-7. If we have a burning issue, question, we can bring them to Jesus. And he will not turn us away. But notice Jesus' response to Nicodemus. Without Nicodemus asking Jesus anything, Jesus cuts through the heart of the matter. And he answers Nicodemus his burning question. You cannot see God's kingdom unless you are born again. You cannot see God's kingdom unless you are born again. And how does Nicodemus respond to Jesus? Well, look with me in verse 4. Nicodemus continues by asking Jesus, well, how can someone be born again? Well, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. It's a valid question, right? And a true statement. You can't enter your mom's womb again to be born again. But Nicodemus had missed the point of what Jesus was saying. And so Jesus says it in a slightly different way. And he unpacks it a little bit more for Nicodemus. So look at verse 5. So Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of spirit, of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. What is Jesus saying here? 
What is he saying here? Well, Jesus is saying that to see and be part of God's kingdom, one needed to be born spiritually. You see, God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, not of this world. Just as we enter this world by being born into it, we can enter God's kingdom by, bo- by, by, by being born into it through the Spirit of God. You see, in the Old Testament, God promises that one day He will restore His people from judgment by cleansing them from sin. And so God uses the imagery of water, that God will cleanse His people from their sin. And He will give them a new heart and put His Spirit in them so that they can live His way. Now, if you're taking notes, that's from Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 to 27. So God promises one day that He will cleanse His people and put His Spirit in them. You see, without God rebirthing us spiritually through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we will still be lost spiritually. We'll be unable to see the new creation, God's kingdom. Just before Christmas, um, Lucas, my son, was telling me about um, a new Lego range called Hidden Side. Now, for some of you parents out there uh, who, have, who have boys or girls, uh, you might have bought this for your, for your children for Christmas. There's a new Lego range called Hidden Side. And Lucas was raving on about how good it is. Um, so basically, it, it uses augmented reality technology. You might be thinking, what is that? Now, so basically, it's like virtual reality. You have your phone, you download this app onto your phone, and your kid builds this Lego set. It's either a shipwreck or haunted house, um, whatever it is, and then you use this, um, use your phone with this app, and you, and you, and you see the Lego set uh, through the lens of your phone. And apparently, you can see ghosts. You can see the hidden side. That's pretty amazing for Lego. You can, you can see the hidden side. You see a spiritual dimension, a world of ghosts. So without the app on your phone, you wouldn't be able to see the hidden side. It would just be a Lego set. You know, in a similar way, unless God gives up His app, unless He gives us His app, which is cleansing us and giving us His Spirit, we will not see the kingdom of God. Only when our spiritual senses are awakened, we will see God at work in His kingdom. Take the, uh, the Apostle Paul, for example. You know, when he was Saul the Pharisee, before he, you know, he was well-versed in the Old Testament. He knew it from the inside out. But it was only until he encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road did his eyes open to see the spiritual reality of what God's Word meant. And he finally understood how everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus and found their fulfillment in Him. But coming back to our passage this morning, Jesus continues to, uh, to say to Nicodemus in verse 7, You should not be surprised. You, you should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So the word wind and spirit are the same word in the Greek. So Jesus is playing on the word here. Like the wind, the Spirit of God moves in whatever way He wants. The Spirit of God moves in mysterious ways. And you can feel the presence of wind. You can see the impact as it goes through the trees. But you cannot really explain it. So it is with someone who is born again. Born from above. You see the changes that the Spirit of God will make in that person's life. But you can't really explain the mechanics of what happened, except that God changed this person through spiritual birth. So that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anybody, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You just know when someone is born again. Because they begin to live like the new creation. But coming back to verse 9, notice again Nicodemus' response to Jesus. Nicodemus asked, how can this be? You see, Nicodemus still sounds like he doesn't understand. Or more like he can't bring himself to believe Jesus. So Jesus continues in verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus changes gear quite a bit here. And he begins to tackle the problem of Nicodemus' unbelief. Notice what Jesus says, You people, you Pharisees, do not accept our testimony. And that was at the very heart of Nicodemus' unbelief. You see, at this point in Nicodemus' journey towards Jesus, he is struggling. He is struggling to accept what Jesus says about himself. So essentially, Jesus tells Nicodemus, take my word for it because I am the son of man who came from heaven. I am the son of man who came from heaven. Now, the title son of man is a title that Jesus uses for himself. It's loaded with meaning and significance, especially for Nicodemus, who understood the Old Testament. It's a title that comes from Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. So in this passage, it tells about Daniel's vision of a son of man coming before God, the Ancient of Days, and being bestowed glory and honor, and being given an everlasting kingdom which consists of all peoples and nations and languages. So why should Nicodemus believe Jesus? Because Jesus 
holds the keys to the kingdom of God. He is the king of kings who rules an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. And he commands, he commands the obedience of the nations. What will this king do for us? And what should be our response to this king? So take a look at verse 14 with me. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus uses, uses a well-known Old Testament story that Nicodemus would have known from Numbers. It's a story about when the people of God were on a journey to the promised land. And as you know the story, they were complaining. God, you know, why did you take us out of Egypt? You know, at least we have food there. So along this journey, there no food, no water, and the people start complaining. And so God uh, sends uh, poisonous snakes into, into the community, and the snakes start to bite uh, the people, and the people start to die. And so the people cry out to God, God, have mercy on us. Forgive us for our complaints. And so God tells Moses, you know what? Cast an, a bronze snake. Cast, this, cast a bronze snake and, and put it on the pole. Put it on the pole. And anyone, and tell anyone who is sick, if they look to the bronze snake, they will be healed and they will be saved. In the same way, God's people back then trust God by looking at the bronze snake for the healing and salvation. So we are to look to Jesus lifted on the cross to save us from our rebellion against Him and live. Not just live for now, but live for eternity. As you start the new year, have you looked at Jesus have you put your complete trust in him? Have you encountered this king who holds the keys to the kingdom? Have you encountered this king who commands the obedience of the nations? Have you bowed the knee and relinquished all control of your life to this king? Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus ends here in John's Gospel, in verse 15. But for homework, and we've read this morning, you can read verse 16, the famous John 3, 16 verse to 21, which is John's reflection of that encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. But how did Nicodemus ultimately respond to Jesus? Did he overcome his unbelief? Did he bow his knee to Jesus? Did he become born again? Well, John doesn't tell us at this point in his gospel. And he leaves it hanging. He leaves it hanging. But in John chapter 19, verse 39, towards the end of his gospel, after the death of Jesus on the cross, we read that Nicodemus accompanies Joseph of Arimathea. To ask Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the, the Roman governor who gave the order for Jesus to be executed. 
He comes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. That's a pretty gutsy thing to do. Where were the disciples? Where were the family of Jesus? They were the ones who asked for the body of Jesus to bury it. No, it was Nicodemus. The Nicodemus who had come to Jesus in the cover of night now comes to Jesus' executioners in broad daylight to ask for his body. That's pretty gutsy. More than that, John tells us that Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, these are burial spices, to prepare the body for burial. Now that's about 34 kilograms of a very, very expensive perfume. Now some people will say that it would have costed Nicodemus over 100,000 US dollars. That's a lot of money. Was Nicodemus born again? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. John doesn't leave us hanging. Nicodemus, the Pharisee who encountered Jesus in the night, had indeed been born again. He risked his own reputation to side with Jesus. He stands with his king. And he gives his wealth to Jesus to give him a burial worthy of a king. How about you and me? Are we still in the dark? Are you prepared to step into the light like Nicodemus did that fateful night when he encountered Jesus? Are you prepared for Jesus to turn your life upside down so that it truly becomes the right way up? For those of us who have encountered Jesus already, are in and, and we're in the light. How are you going? How are we going in submitting to his kingship over our life? Does Jesus have our full allegiance? Does he take the driver's seat in all our relationships? Does Jesus command our wealth and resources? Do we love him more than anything else this world have to offer? This year, let's make it our resolution to step out of the crowd and to encounter this Jesus, to know him personally, not not as a celebrity, but to know him personally as our king, the king who commands the obedience of the nations. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this story of Nicodemus that encourages our hearts. Father, thank you for Jesus, that he is is the light of the world. Thank you for the promise that when we step into the light, when we encounter Jesus, you change our lives forever. You do not leave us the same. Father, for those of us who've been just following Jesus from afar. Father, I pray that you will do your thing this morning. That you will touch their hearts. That you will enable them to step forward and into the light. 
And for those of us who are still in the light, Father, help us to be like Nicodemus, to relinquish full control of our lives to your son Jesus, to give him the honor and glory that he deserves. So help us this year to do that. And we pray this in your son's most precious name. Amen.